James Bible Study, Part 13, On Steadfastness, for lay leaders and deacons to conduct after the Sunday service or during a midweek Bible study session. Hear the word of our Lord from James chapter 5, beginning in the 7th verse. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. St. James has just finished condemning the rich in his day, and for the most part the rich in our day as well. They are living symbols of the lower wisdom, of vanity and selfish ambition, and their judgment is near if they do not repent. But having said this, what positive message could St. James offer to those who are not worthy of the attacks he has just made? What can be said to those who humbly hold to penitent faith in our Lord? His message to the faithful is this, that they must garner steadfastness. This includes patience, rejoicing while under trial and continuing on in following God's ways. In the first chapter, the author already praised steadfastness as a virtue par excellence, as something that results in receiving eternal life, which God promised to us by faith. While he has proclaimed sola fide in various ways throughout the epistle, St. James recognizes that faith is tested, put under trial, and refined through struggle. This requires us to do our best, both praying for and exercising steadfastness that we may recognize when we receive blessings and rewards from our Lord. Agape love may be the highest virtue for the believer in their obedience to the two greatest commandments, but steadfastness is right behind it in terms of importance, especially as it carves out a path forward in this life. Verses 7 and 8 say, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. We are called to be patient, or long-suffering, until the return of Christ. The second advent is the moment which all Christians look to in hope. It is the moment Judgment Day occurs in which our Savior comes to the world to gather his church together and take us to the new Jerusalem to enjoy eternal life. When this day comes, 
He will come to us as our Redeemer, while coming to the non-believers as their judge. To the believer, this day appears to tarry. St. James says that the coming of the Lord is at hand, yet he also demands patience on our parts for it. There is no contradiction here, and nor is it an indication of some delusional Jesus returns next week Adventist mindset on the part of the early church. To the contrary, that Christ could return at any moment, whether in the next five minutes or a thousand years from now, means he is always at hand, the same way the early or late rains happen whenever God wills them. Verse 9 says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Christ is not only near in the sense that he may return at any time. He is also near in his presence at our gatherings, Matthew 18, verse 20, and at our baptism, Galatians 3, 27, and the closeness of the eschaton, Mark 13, 32. Having put on Christ at our baptism and having his presence at our gatherings means that he knows exactly what we do what we say about one another, and what discipline ought to occur if we sin against him. Remember also that Christ shall only appear to you in one of two ways, either as your Redeemer or as your Judge. St. James here warns that the grumbler, the complainer who tries to disrupt the church, risks being in the latter camp. Now, This is not to say that all complaining is wickedness, or puts someone outside of the church. Otherwise, there would be no opportunity for church discipline, like 1 Corinthians 5.13, expel the evil one from among you, and let alone reform in the church. In the context of St. James's pervasive attacks on sins of the tongue, he is referring to slander, gossip, unfair treatment, or anything else motivated by the lower wisdom. Before someone complains about bad conditions in the church or bad actions taken by another believer, they are here advised to make certain that their case against these is biblical, reasonable, and motivated by care for the other rather than out of spite, envy, or malice. Verses 10 and 11 say, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. The prophets suffered. Almost every single prophet who spoke in God's name was persecuted by non-believers their countrymen, by circumstances related to their ministry. Yet the prophets of note, those who were commended by Scripture, are commended for patiently enduring even unto death. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Elijah, St. John the Baptist, Noah, Moses, all these were more harmed over the course of their labors for God than they were considered materially blessed. Yet here St. James draws a direct line between Old Testament prophet and Christian believer, 
as the believer is now expected to undergo similar trials as the prophets did. Whether our sufferings are at the same scale as the prophets or not does not matter. What matters is that we, like the prophets, remain steadfast. Those who remain are considered blessed, called saints, remembered fondly by the church. On the flip side, those who apostatize are considered cautionary tales at best and wicked traitors at worst. Now, Job is St. James's prime example of steadfastness. He is mentioned in the same breath as the prophets, most likely because he was a prophet himself, as I, this writer, believe firmly that Job wrote the book named after him. Yet St. James says that the message of Job is how God is compassionate and merciful. Job becomes even more of a centerpiece for the virtue of steadfastness on account of this problem of suffering that he goes through. When we suffer trial and struggle, it may very well appear that God is not compassionate nor merciful to us. The book of Job highlights how he still loves us and helps us despite the doubts that may creep in when suffering arises. We are to not look at appearance nor circumstance as reassurance of God's blessings, but rather to trust in our Lord and believe his word the way Job learned to do directly. Verse 12 says, But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. Citing Matthew 5, verse 37, St. James highlights the necessity of being honest. The swearing or the oaths that he cites are not necessarily mundane oaths, lest Christians be unable to sign contracts, be considered trustworthy in business deals, or even take baptismal oaths if they are being baptized as adults. Rather than being a blanket prohibition on taking oaths or swearing, we are instead exhorted to be such men of our word that people trust us. In St. James's day, oaths and swearing were forms of solidifying or highlighting a truth or a promise. I adjure you by the Most High God, swear to me you are telling the truth, a judge might say to us. Our response ought to be, I need not make an oath, for I am trustworthy, I do not lie, and you know it. When we say that we shall perform such and such a task, we need not meet some demand that says, swear to me you shall do this. Such should be our reputation as steadfast Christians, that oaths are unnecessary. St. James says that this is, quote, above all, end quote, because our earnestness and conviction of the truth is the bedrock upon which our steadfastness is built. Without a firm foundation of faith in the word and a willingness to speak of it, we become no better than the Roman Stoic philosophers who were known to be steadfast for no reason whatsoever, except 
perhaps some idea of personal excellence. Christians speak the truth, one to his neighbor, because we have faith in it, are sanctified by our faith, are justified by our faith, and thus are willing to stand by the truth, whatever the cost.